Good morning, my name's Stephen. You can either read on your device or in the Bibles there or follow along on the screen with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Well, good day, everyone. Uh, my name is Scott. As I mentioned before, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, Here's a question I want to start with. What makes a healthy church? Is it the 11 innovations that this book suggests? Or is it the nine marks that this book says? Or do we need to have the seven powerful conversations from this book that will make us have lasting impact? Who knows? What makes a healthy church? Is it that... We're, we're, we're 
driven by a purpose? Or is it that we're a slow church? Or is it that we just simply need to find a way for men to stop hating being here? Sorry, guys. You're here on Father's Day and you don't want to be. Look, whatever it is, though, I'm sure we want to be the five-star church, don't we? Which probably means we need to read this book. It. How churches and leaders can get it and keep it. But what is it? Ah, See, they've done the smart thing. They haven't put it in the title. So you've got to slap down your 15 bucks before you can find out. Now, I'm being a little bit cruel. Some of those books are excellent and helpful. But I want you to see lots of different people have lots of different ideas about what makes a healthy church. But what's the answer? I don't even think this is a question that just Christians ask. You see, church gets in the news a lot. Churches get in the news a lot. And it seems to be all for the wrong reasons recently. Uh, Here's a church and they're saying no to something. Here is a church uh, in the news because of the Royal Commission. Oh, here's church in the news again because they're saying no to something else. So for many, a healthy church is one that would just stop the nonsense and get on with doing the good things that they're there to do. You know, feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, and looking after the sick and needy. That's the healthy church. And why are there more, more churches doing that? If you're a little bit more cynical, you'd say something like, a healthy church is a dead church. Because a church isn't just an outdated relic of the past, so let it die. That's the healthy thing to do. What makes a healthy church? What do you think? If you'd asked the ancient Corinthian church, I reckon they'd say something like this. It's all about the leaders. Church is all about the leaders. You've got to get the right leaders, you know, the, the tip-top preacher, the, the guru on small groups, the worship leader who gets the music just banging along. You get the right leaders and your church will be great and vibrant and at least that's what the Corinthians thought. But here's the problem with the Corinthians. They're worldly, unspiritual, immature. Check out how they're spoken of again in, in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, if you're not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? See what they think there? It's it's all about the human leaders. And so they keep arguing over which is the best leader to follow. Which leader do you belong to? But they've got it all wrong and it's hurting them badly. They're not growing up. They're staying as spiritual babies. And friends, that's the kind of thing that can happen to us too. So we need to hear what this chapter has to say today. And as we do... Our sights will be raised off ourselves and off our ideas and we'll see what really makes a healthy church. There are actually three things to say and you'll see them if you've got a leaflet there. They're all in the leaflet. Uh, Point one, the church is God's. Uh, Then in point two, we're going to investigate this idea that the church is God's. Then in point three, we're going to hit up something a little bit different where we see that the church is God's again. 
pretty simple. In fact, someone came into this morning to me, uh, opened up his leaflet, looked at me and said, I know what the sermon is doing today, I can walk outside. So. Point one, the church is God's. You can see this in verses 5 to 9. The church is God because God is the one who grows it. The writer of the letter here, Paul, he's uh, using a metaphor. He's talking about church like it's a garden or a field, a place where things are planted and grow. In this garden, there are, there, there are workers. Some, some are planting seeds in the ground. Some are watering the seeds. But none of them are responsible for, for anything growing. That's what God does. He makes the flowers bloom. He, he makes the seed grow up and produce grain. In fact, God is the one who hired the workers to be there in the first place. See, it's all down to God, isn't it? Look at how verse 7 puts it. It's neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I'm, uh, I'm not much of a green thumb. I'm pretty useless in the garden. All I can do is mow and pull out weeds, and sometimes I even get the weeds wrong and I actually pull out the flowers. So... When it comes to making plants grow, I'm not particularly good. But early this year, Simon Andrews, Simon is a part of our church, Simon Andrews uh, bought some little uh, tomato vines, um, and he said, uh, you know, plant these and they'll grow up. And like I said, I got a bad track record in the garden, so I got Pip to plant them instead. But uh, you know, we watered them, our family watered them, and would you believe it, they actually grew, they did grow. In fact, they grew so well that our little three-year-old Eva, she would uh, uh, kind of be playing outside, and whenever she got hungry, she'd just go and rip a tomato off and pop it in the mouth. And most of the time, she got a right one, but sometimes not. You see, we planted, we watered, but I can guarantee you, it's not down to me that that, 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 that tomato tree grew. My, my track record is, is too dodgy for that to be true. God made it grow. And that's exactly what it's like with the church. The church grows because of God. Now, we might be out there telling friends about Jesus. We might try and plant and water. But ultimately, it's God who grows his church, isn't it? God who truly convicts people. God who, who changes hearts. This is, it's, it's God's work. And actually... Doesn't that give us confidence? So much confidence. Because when I feel like I'm getting nowhere with my neighbour, I feel like I'm just not cut out for this or or whatever it is, I can still be confident because it's not up to me to change people. That's what God does. I just plant and water. So that thing we're doing where we're asking our friends what they want to ask God... You know, I can do that. I, I can ask them feeling really nervous. But I know that God can use this. The little things that I do, God can use it and grow the church. Later on in the year, we're going to put on a, a few um, good events. And we're going to try and invite some of our friends along to things, things that might work for them. And, you know, I, I can be reluctant to do that. Because I've asked my workmate three times before, and he said no each time. But, but this, this gives me confidence. Because God can use the thing I do to bring about growth. In fact, next year we're going to do something that's really big. Something that in many respects is, is pretty crazy. 50 or so of us are going to leave our church here. 
are going to go to a different part of the city and start a new church, which is just crazy. Think of all the risks involved there. But we can do it with confidence, friends. Because while we plant and while we water, God actually gives growth. Which means we need to pray. If God is the one who brings growth, and he is, let's ask him to do just that. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, about a year, a bit over a year ago, I, I suggested that we all do this thing where we pray for five friends during the five days of the working week. Monday I pray for someone, Tuesday I pray for the next person, and so on through the week. Asking God to grow his church, to, to add people into his church. I just wanted to remind you about that. If you haven't started that yet, well, why not start tomorrow? Maybe you've started and stopped, but why not kick it off again tomorrow? See, see here, God is saying that he grows his church, so let's just ask him to do that. Ask him to, ask him to do that with your friends. Because you see, a healthy church isn't about leaders. A healthy church is all about God. He's the one who really gives the growth. So there is point one, the church is God's, because he makes it grow. Point two, the church is God's. You see this in verses 10 to 17 again. In these verses, the metaphor changes. We're no longer talking about a field or a garden, now we're talking about a building. And what we see is is that the church is God's, because he's the one who judges and rewards the builders of the building, the builders of the church. Now, these verses can be a little bit tricky, so we're going to take it through bit by bit, uh, and we'll see some important things along the way. Okay, let's start, we'll start then in verse 10, verse 10, 11. Uh, this is what Paul writes. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember here, um, uh, building is a metaphor for church. And like any building, the, the church has a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus. The church is built on Jesus and the message about Jesus. So really, I mean, you could try and build a church on all sorts of foundations. But this is the only one that matters. You could try and build a church on the personality of the leader. Or build a church on some snazzy marketing strategies You could even just try and build a church on simply being really, really, really nice people. And those things might be good. And you might even build a large church. But in the end, they just don't cut it. These things might be useful. They might be important, but they're not the right foundation. The right foundation is Jesus. See, there we can never move on from Jesus. No matter how unpopular that makes us, no matter how many times we've just you know, heard it all before, no matter what the consequence, we cannot move on to another foundation. Only Jesus. He's the only foundation. As we move along, verse 12. In verse 12, you see it also matters, though, how you build on the foundation. 
So verse 12, uh, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Is like, like any building, there's different building materials you could build with when it comes to the church. But they're not all of equal value. Uh, uh, the letter here talks of a, a coming test, of a fiery test. It's talking about the end of time when, when God will, will judge the world and he's going to test the quality of the, of the builder's work. What will pass the fiery test? Uh, not wood or hay or straw. I don't know if you've ever lit a fire before, but those kind of things get burned up. It's the gold, it's the, the costly stones. These are the things that last, that pass the fiery test. So what are these? What are they supposed to represent? If you take a step back and think about the letter as a whole, I think it's what Paul has been talking about all along. It's, it's the message of the cross. It's... It's that, that thing that looks kind of foolish to many people. But, but that, that Jesus' crucifixion brings our eternal salvation. The Corinthians wanted someone who would come and talk with great eloquence. But that's just, wood, that's just, smoke, uh, that's just hay that goes up in smoke. What lasts is the message that brings salvation. It's... The gold is the gospel. It's the silver that speaks of salvation to us. The costly stones that call us to the cross of Christ. So there's this day of judgment coming when things are tested. And uh, verse 14, it's spelled out a little bit more for us. Verse 14, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. What's the reward? It's that you get to share eternity with people. People to whom you've spoken this news, this gospel, this message of the cross. I mean, just imagine for a moment, you're standing before God on that last day. And he brings in before you a friend. This, this friend that you took a gamble and you didn't know how it would go, but you spoke to them about Jesus. Imagine on that day, coming before God and hearing God say, they're here because you spoke up. Yes, I'm the one that gave the growth, but you spoke up. Go and enjoy eternity together. Surely, surely there could be no better reward than that. Or look at the alternate in verse 15. If what he's built, if, if, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one only escaping through the flames. To build with the wrong materials is dangerous. You might survive, you will be saved, it says. But if you're getting people to trust in anything else but the gospel, in anything else but the cross of Christ, if, if you're getting people to trust 
in, in their goodness, in doing good and keeping rules. Or if you're getting people to trust because what you say sounds really impressive and wise in the eyes of this world. If you're getting people to trust in any of these things, they won't last. They, they won't enjoy eternal salvation. So, just a little brief sidetrack here. If you're here today, uh, maybe you've been brought along by a friend or something like that, but, but you're here today and you know that in your life you're not really for Jesus. Uh, firstly, I want to say welcome. Oh, like, um, I'm so glad you're here. It probably was pretty hard for you to come today. We're stoked that you're with us and I hope we do a fantastic job of looking after you today. I really do. But secondly, I want to say this. All this stuff we've been talking about, it's... It's why your friend wants you to know Jesus, wants you to trust Jesus. Because eternity is on the line here. And they want you to enjoy that with them. And don't you want that too? Don't you want that for yourself too? If you do, tell them, tell your friend today. Let them know. I'm sure they'd be stoked. And they'd be keen to help you figure out what to do next. Eternity is on the line. As we work through these verses, we've been seeing that Paul is really, the writer of the letter, Paul, he's really applying this to leaders. And that's kind of right because leaders are naturally part of building the church up, as it were. But that doesn't mean the rest of us are off the hook. See, there are some really key things here that we all need to take away from this chunk of the Bible. Two in particular that I want to mention. Firstly, although it might mostly be leaders who do this, we're actually all involved in building the church. Some of us do it in our homes. We, uh, in, in the way that we look after our families, we bring up our kids, even being a godparent to some other, someone else's kids. For some of us, it's in the ministries we serve in at Trinity Kids or, or, or youth group or, or in community groups or whatever. For some of us, it's just what we do informally where we have those eyes that are looking out for a, a new person to welcome someone in on a Sunday here. Uh, the evangelism that we do in, in our workplaces during the week. But whatever it is, how are you going about building? How are you building? Are you building on the foundation of Jesus? Are you building with the right materials, with that foolish message of the cross of Christ? How are you building? And secondly, this is for all of us again, because all of us are actually affected if the building is done badly, aren't we? So it's up to all of us to make sure that doesn't happen to make sure we as a church stay on the foundation of Christ and keep being built with that that right material of the gospel message. That's up to all of us. So if at any point you do have a concern, please do talk to your leaders. Come come and talk to us. I promise we won't bite. Um, But if you're spotting something where where you feel like we're completely missing the mark, where we're starting to build with the wrong materials or, or... move to a different foundation, please do tell us. Because that's a good thing, not just for you, but it's a good thing for everyone when you do that. This actually happened recently. 
uh, a few weeks ago, a few people came to me. They were just concerned about something. Um, concerned that they, that they didn't quite understand what was happening and, and concerned that maybe our leaders were acting in an unloving way. And so they said something. And it was absolutely right that they came and chatted. It made me so glad. Because here were a few people who cared enough about all of us that they wanted to make sure our church wasn't veering off. They wanted to ask what was happening, to understand it. It was a great conversation. So if you do have concerns, it could be easy to hold on to them and just talk to one another. But please do come and talk to us. We're more than happy to do that. You know, there's something that makes all of this even more stunning. As we're not just part of any old building... We together, even here this morning, we are the temple of God. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. See that we together are the temple. The, the place where God dwells by his spirit. Did you hear that warning too? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. That's a stark and scary warning, isn't it? And the Corinthians, they needed to hear this. They, they were busy dividing amongst themselves. We've heard of this in, in the past chapters. That's destroying God's temple. And in the coming chapters, we're going to hear of them doing other things, of, of tolerating sin, even the kind of things that would not be condoned in their society. And it's destroying the temple. The Corinthians needed to hear this warning. In fact, I think we all need to hear this warning because the consequences are so severe. Be careful, friends, never to destroy God's temple, never to destroy the church. Because the church, we together, belong to God. Do you hear that warning? But at the same time, do you hear that beautiful reassurance as well? That, that word of God's protection. God won't let his church be destroyed. It's Father's Day today. And like Craig said, for some of us, that's a wonderful day because we've had dads that have really looked after us well. For some of us, it's, 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 it's sad or tinged with sadness because we have fathers who weren't that nice to us. God is our Father and look at the way his far, he, he protects his church, us as a father. Lovingly from those who would harm us, he protects us. Treasure this, friends. This is God's heart for us, for our church. So do you see it again? The church is God's. He is its judge and he is its defender. It's not down to leaders. The church is God's. 
And finally, just briefly, one more point. The church is God's. The church is God's because it belongs to him. Verses 18 to 23 there. Uh, in those verses, um, Paul again is repeating the point that he's made all throughout his letter again and again. He's saying, don't pursue what the world sees as wise. Instead, pursue God's wisdom. Which means you don't take pride in human leaders. Instead, you take pride in Jesus because he's given you leaders. In fact, he's given you everything, including a future beyond death. Take pride in Jesus. And in fact, you belong to Jesus, which means ultimately you belong to God because Jesus belongs to God. Not in the sense that he's less than God and subordinate to God, but but in the sense that as the Son, he lovingly serves the Father. So do you see what, what, what the letter is saying to us here? We don't belong to any church leader. In fact, we're all on the same team. But we all do belong to God. The church is God's. You see it there, don't you, friends? Time and time again, the same point is made. The church is God's. The church is God's. The church is God's. So what makes then a healthy church? The 11 innovations, the 9 marks, the 7 conversations, sure, they might be helpful. And, and really, it is sometimes helpful to, to grab hold of these books and to kind of read them. And, but unless we grab hold of a bigger reality, unless we grab hold of this reality that the church is God, unless we're gripped by that, we'll never be a healthy church. Because that's fundamentally who we are. We are the people who belong to God. So what does that mean for us? What does does that look like to put into practice? Let's think about it just in in terms of what we value. What do we value as a church? What do we take pride in? Is it that we're a Bible-teaching church? Or that we're a church-planting church? Or that we're a welcoming place on a Sunday. Or that we have great community groups. What do we take pride in? See, all those things are really great and good. And I want to say, let's, let's do them. But yet, none of them are really the fundamental thing, are they? None of them the ultimate thing. Do we value God? Do we value praising Him together? Praising Him in our songs? Praising Him... Uh, in our prayers together? Do we value hearing what he says together? Do we value simply being his people and enjoying him and enjoying him together? Let's be a church that does that. Let me pray for us. Our good heavenly Father, We give you all the praise. Without you, Father, we know that we would not be here today. Without you, Father, we know we have neither life or breath or anything. Without you, Father, we know that we are helpless and lost. And yet in your grace and kindness, you have brought each one of us to belong to you to together belong to you. So, Lord God, we pray, please 
Help us to value you. Shape our hearts, shape our minds, shape our habits so that what we value is you above everything else. Help us to do that together. Even, Father, as we share some food and some coffee later on, we pray that we show we value you by the conversations we have, by the way we treat each other. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.